0: Uh, Our passage this morning is found in Luke chapter number 1. If you're counting, yes, this is our fourth sermon in the first chapter. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be in verses 39 through 56. Luke chapter number 1. If you don't have your Bibles, the passage will be on the screen. Verse 39 declares, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leapt for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had, what was spoken to her from the Lord and man said to her my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God uh, my savior for he has looked On my humble, on the humble estate of his servant and behold from now on and all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled uh, the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for three months and returned to her home. Uh, Just for a few moments, I want to share uh, from the subject title, uh, Partnering in Praise. We want to talk about partnering in praise this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. Um, we are thankful God for your word that is living and active. Uh, we are thankful for uh, the chance to um, we are thankful for the chance to be able to study your word together. God help us um, be able to see this passage. Clearly, God help us, God to be able to dig deep into it, Lord God. Um, it is amazing uh, that something Um, that is old, something that is distant, can have such a profound connection with us today. God, I pray as we study, Lord, we just want to take a journey into the text. We want to take a journey where we are able to see how the truth of the text is able to transform our lives. We pray, God, that you would help us to do this, and we truly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is a story told about a man who got lost while driving on a country road. And as he tried to reach for his map, he accidentally drove off the road into a ditch. Uh, though uh, he wasn't injured, his car was stuck in the mud. In the distance, he could see a farmhouse. So he decided to go to the farmhouse. He wanted to knock on the door. and He was going to ask for help. The man got to the door. He asked for help. And he met the farmer who owned the house. The farmer quickly saw that the car was stuck, and he quickly replied, Old Warwick can get you out of the ditch, and he pointed at the old mule standing in the field. The man looked at the decrepit old mule, and he looked at the farmer, and he said, Are you sure? And the farmer responded, Yep, old Warwick can do the job. The man figured that he had nothing to lose, so he goes out uh, with the farmer, the old mule, and they link the mule to the car. And with a snap of the reins, the farmer shouted, pull Fred, pull Jack, pull Ted, pull Warwick. And the mule began to pull the car right out of the ditch. Uh, The man was amazed, and he thanked the farmer, and he patted the mule on the head, and he asked the question, why did you call those names before you called out Warwick? And the farmer grinned. He said, oh, Warwick is about blind. And as long as he believes he's partnering with someone else on the team, he doesn't mind pulling. I tell that story to, to, to it's, a, it's a false story. Um, <laughs> but I tell that story to share a, a greater truth. The mindset that the story communicates is a mindset that you and I should possess together. When we're partnering together, we shouldn't mind pulling together. When we're partnering together, we should not mind praising together. There are things that certainly should happen on your own. Yes, there are things in your life that are, that are exclusive to you. There are things that are in your life that you cannot share with others. But there are other things that God has ordained and there are other things that God has orchestrated that are too good to be kept to yourself. Uh, my brothers and sisters, I stopped by this morning to encourage us to remember that what is happening in the text is a reminder that there are things that God wants us to experience in the context of community. Uh, Yes, your relationship with God is a personal relationship. Yes, there are no grandchildren of God. Yes, you have to have a personal relationship with God for yourself. But I want you to know this as well. Although your relationship with God is personal, your relationship with God should never be private. Say it again. Your relationship with God is personal. I cannot have faith for you. I cannot have faith for my wife. I cannot have faith for my children. I can model faith for them, but they've got to have faith for themselves. But it gets to a place in our lives where we need to understand that, yes, my faith is personal, but God calls me to never be a person who is an undercover Christian whose faith does not have a a public aspect to it. Um, our relationship with God should never be something that we're ashamed of. Our relationship with God should not be something that we have to hide. But our relationship with God is something that we know um, is, is a beautiful picture of an inward change. And that inward change leads to outward actions. That inward change leads to outward transformation. In our text, we see that Mary receives an honest announcement from the Lord. Uh, the Lord tells her something profound. The Lord tells her something special. And Mary responds humbly. She humbly and hopefully responds to the Lord. She says, Lord, let it be according to your word. And because of her vertical relationship, because her relationship with God was right, the next thing we see is a connection with a horizontal relationship. I'll say that a little bit better. Because she has the right vertical relationship with God, it transformed her horizontal relationships with people. The same is true for us. When we have a right relationship with God it brings us closer and more intimate in relationship with people. I will never have a right relationship with God and lack right relationships with people. I will never have a healthy relationship with God and not also have healthy relationships with people. Now, that does not mean that my relationships will be perfect. That does not mean that my relationships will, not, will be without, without struggle. But hear me very clearly. When I am right with God, it helps me be right with others. When I grow closer to God, it helps me grow closer to others. When I'm submitted to the Lord, I will be willing to submit to other people in my life. When I, when I hear people have this attitude that they are going to just do this thing by themselves, it immediately tells me that there is a disconnection between them and God. When people have an attitude where they think that they don't need other believers, that they don't need to be in community. When people have a mindset or an attitude that um, I'm right with God by myself, I don't have to come to church, I don't have to fellowship, I don't have to be in a small group, I don't have to be with others, you can miss me with that attitude. Because when you see the text, when you see the scriptures, the people of God who are most connected to the Lord are always most connected to other people. Uh, In our text, Mary clearly submits to the Lord. She clearly is growing in her relationship with the Lord. And the result of her growing in her relationship with the Lord is that she begins to now grow in relationship with other people. When we look at the text, there are three specific aspects of Mary and Elizabeth. Mary and Elizabeth relationship that we want to look at together. And the first thing we see is the relationship that Mary and Elizabeth possessed was fulfilling because the relationship was Christ-centered in its connection. Verse 36 says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into the town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Uh, As we read the text, we must understand that Mary moves uh, from being present with the angelic messenger, to suddenly being alone by herself. I want you to catch the scene. The angel appears, and now she's by herself. I imagine that the house would have been strangely quiet and still. But while her world was still, while her world was not the same, everything outside of her world was going on. I can imagine that outside of her door, there was someone um, arguing with the kid. Outside of the door, there was somebody... Telling a joke outside of the door, there were probably women going to the well in laughter. In that moment, Mary would have found herself by herself, and she would have had to make a decision whether or not she was going to rejoin the everyday world or what she was going to do with the message that she had just heard. She would have had to make a decision of what she was going to do with this newfound responsibility that she had from Christ. Was she going to? Was she going to let herself um, uh, be? be controlled, and be held hostage by fear? Or was she going to continue to take steps in her faith? At that moment, Mary had a profound decision to make. What would she do? Where would she go? Would she hide? Would she make her condition known? Would she keep her condition secret? And in that moment, she made a decision to connect with someone who would understand her newfound responsibility that she had received because of Christ. She made a decision to go to the person, to go to the one, to go to the community that understood her newfound responsibility because of Christ. Now, I believe that the question that Mary had to, to wrestle with is a question that we must consider this morning. Uh, I know once again, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, I know you have never been visited by an angel. Hopefully. I know you have not uh, been told that you will be the mother of Christ. Hopefully, you haven't heard that. But in all seriousness, there are times when God will speak to you. There were times when you will find yourself receiving a message from the Lord, and you're going to have to make a decision how you're going to process that message and how you're going to deal with the message that you've been given. There are going to be times in your life as a believer when you're going to feel out of place in the world. There are going to be times in your life as a Christian where people are not going to be able to understand what's going on. There are going to be times when we receive a message and we are confused concerning what God is doing and how God is going to bring forth the message. And when we are given more responsibility by God and we don't understand it all in those moments we got to understand, or we need to identify, where will I go for counsel? Where will I go for help? And I want to encourage you this morning, when you find yourself in that kind of place, we must go to other people who also have a Christ-centered connection. From a human perspective, it makes no sense for Mary, as a pregnant woman, to travel that long to see, to see Elizabeth. They were at different stages of life. One was young, one was old, one was a virgin, one was battling fertility issues. From a human perspective, it made no sense to travel around 60 or 70 miles on a donkey or on foot. But she does it because of a Christ-centered connection. From a natural perspective, it makes no sense that Mary and Elizabeth would be connected, but when we see it through the lenses of God's community, when we see it through the lenses of God's redemptive story, it makes all the sense in the world. The tie that bound Mary and Elizabeth together was Christ. Mary decided to make the journey because of Christ. Mary decided to make the journey because she had re- received a message from God, and there was one person who understood her new found responsibility that she had received from God. When she realized that Mary, when, when, when Mary realized that Elizabeth could understand her Christ connection, it motivated her to go and connect with Elizabeth. I want to pause there and ask a question. In this life, you will need people who have a Christ-centered connection. Who is in your life right now? Who's in your life right now? When you receive a message, you can go to them and talk to them. Like, who do you have? Who do you have in your life who you can send that text message to, who you can send that prayer request to? Who do you have in your life? I hope that you have somebody in your life because there are going to be times in your life when you're going to need someone to not just talk to, you're going to need somebody to connect with based upon Christ. Now, all of us have connections. It could be um, racial connections, economic connections. All of us have different affiliations. It could be your college. It could be your sorority, your fraternity. It could be your job. All of us have connections, and there is nothing wrong with those connections. But catch this very clearly. All of those connections should be secondary to our connection to Christ. All of those other connections should be subordinate to our connection to Christ. What should come after my connection to Christ is my racial connection. What should come after my connection to Christ is my social connection. What should come after my connection to Christ is my economic uh, connection, my political connection, my, uh, my work connection. When you look at the text, she was connected to somebody who was connected to Christ because she had a greater relationship with God she moved into a greater relationship with with another person who was also connected to God. So first, we see very clearly that the relationship was marked by fulfillment because of a Christ-centered connection. But secondly, and I love it, the relationship was free from comparison and competition. Verse 41 says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's a saying that a joy shared is joy doubled. And that was certainly uh, true with Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, They were first cousins, um, which meant that John the Baptist and Jesus would be second cousins. Mary traveled around 60 to 70 miles south to Judea to be with someone. And upon arriving, Elizabeth immediately knows that Christ is in Mary's womb. And Elizabeth's son within her, because of the Holy Spirit, leapt with joy. When I think about Elizabeth's response, I'm reminded that there is no sense of competition in their relationship. There was no comparison or jealousy or envy concerning whose son would be greatest. Instead, Elizabeth burst out with a spontaneous praise concerning the work of God in someone else's life. I think that is it's too important for me to not say this, right? How many times are we thankful for how God is working in someone else's life? I know we've gotten to a place to where we praise God for what he's doing for us, and that's a good thing. But have you ever burst into praise over how the Lord is working in someone else's life? Can we praise God for an answered prayer for my brother and my sister, even when he does not answer those prayers for me? Can we praise God for how he chooses to work in someone else's child? Can we praise God for how he chooses to give the promotion to my brother or my sister? Can we we thank God even when I don't have the relationship? Can I I thank God even when I don't have the marriage when God gives what I desire to someone else? Can I be as thankful for others as I would be for myself? Uh, Oftentimes we cannot uh, say that we are because we are so selfish and we are so self-centered, rather than being Christ-centered. We are so consumed with self that, that we want first dibs on God's blessings, and after we've picked out the blessing that we want, uh, we don't mind if somebody else gets something that we don't desire. Catch this difference um, in the text. On one side, we can really do um, better in terms of giving God praise, because once again, um, when God does something for me, I need to give God the praise. That's a good thing. But on another level, while that's good, is that that God's best? Am I so excited to see God working that I don't care where God chooses to work? A Christian maturity is the ability to rejoice at God working even when I'm not the vessel that God chooses to use. Maturity does not simply say, Lord, I don't care how you bless me, I'll be satisfied. Maturity says, Lord, I don't care who you bless, I'm going to be satisfied. And when the Lord chooses to bless me, and the Lord gives a bigger blessing to another brother or sister, I'm not going to allow Satan to come in and bring competition and comparison. I want to allow my gifts, my car, my spouse, my life, my house, my children, my whatever, to allow me to fall into this carnal mindset of comparison. We need to be careful because... Falling into that carnal mindset reminds us that we are not satisfied with what the Lord has done in our life. And catch this, when we understand grace, we got to understand that there's nothing that we deserve, meaning that anything God gives us is more than we deserve. So if God chooses to give someone else something, then who am I to be upset with God? Because I don't deserve anything anyway. I remember when I was in college, I I was volunteering at the after-school program in Atlanta. Uh, the program was in a very rough neighborhood with disadvantaged kids. And in addition to providing academic support, we would provide food assistance and clothing assistance. But uh, every Christmas we would have a large, um, every December we have a large Christmas party. And we would make sure uh, that all the kids got to us. I can remember uh, during one of those parties, uh, a little girl got so upset and angry because she didn't receive a particular gift in her bag. It's amazing to me that when we calculated the cost of her bag, her bag was far more valuable than anybody else's bag at the party. But another little girl got a Barbie doll and she didn't get a Barbie doll in her bag. And because she didn't get something in her bag, she wanted to throw the bag away. Her bag was more expensive. Her bag was more valuable. Her bag was more substantive. But she didn't get what she wanted. And because she didn't get what she wanted, she wanted to throw the entire bag away. Is, is that not us? Is that not us? Is that not us being guilty of doing the same thing? Do we not want to throw it all away just because God has left off an item? Do we not get discouraged because the Lord has chosen to place some, something in someone else's bag? and not placed it in our bag? I want to be very clear here. It's okay to admire gifts that we don't possess. It's even okay to ask the Lord for gifts and abilities that we're lacking. Uh, When I read the scriptures and I see the scriptures talk about something uh, very specific like a godly marriage, and I see uh, that in the Word, and I see that uh, in another couple, it's okay for me to ask and desire For a marriage if I'm single, and it's okay for me to to ask and desire for a stronger marriage if I'm married. Uh, It's okay for me to look at the word and see uh, what God says about a person who meditates on God's word day and night. I don't know if y'all caught it. My sister, not bragging, but my sister quoted the scripture this morning. She didn't need it because she is committed to reading the scriptures. When, When I saw that, I wasn't jealous. I was like, you know what? Praise the Lord. That's something I need to do for me. I need to desire something special. It's not a jealous thing. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing like, Lord, if my sister can memorize your word, how much more should I make a commitment to memorizing your word? When I see somebody who has wisdom, when I, see the, when, the, when I see the scriptures speak about having wisdom and being able to ask for wisdom, it's okay for me to be able to ask for what the scriptures have told me it's okay to ask for. That's okay, but let me, I want you to catch this. What's not okay is when I cannot celebrate for other people. What's not okay is when I'm so upset about what God has not done for me that I'm angry with what God has done for you. What's not okay is when I become bitter and I become envious of talents and abilities that God has given other people. What's not okay is when I'm upset with the assignment that the Lord has given me rather than being excited about any assignment that the Lord gives out. So first, the relationship was fulfilling because of the Christ-centered connection. Secondly, the relationship was free of comparison and competition. And thirdly, the relationship was focused on a confession. Verse 43 says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is Elizabeth's confession. Traditionally, we think that the first biblical, the first biblical character to confess that Jesus is the Christ was Peter. But when you read verse 43, we really see that Elizabeth, not Peter, was the first one to, conf- to confess that Jesus is the Lord in the New Testament. How is Elizabeth able to do this? She's able to do it because the Holy Spirit revealed it to her. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, um, Paul says in the B portion, No one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. The Spirit reveals the truth. The Spirit gave Elizabeth the ability to to know who Jesus is, and that is what we need the Holy Spirit to do in our lives today. It's an important reminder that we need the Spirit to work in our lives for people to recognize who Jesus is, for people to see their need for Christ, for people to surrender their lives to Christ, uh, they need the Holy Spirit to reveal to them the truth. It's amazing to me that a lot of us, we want to get into, when I say a lot of us, me, I want to argue you down about Christ. I want to give a better argument. I want to make sure that you hear it. I want to get louder than you. I want to beat you down until you do it. Ultimately, Unless the Lord reveals it, it won't happen. Unless the Lord takes a providential and spiritual opportunity to reveal through the Holy Spirit, it cannot happen. It won't happen through screaming loud. It won't happen through entertaining people at church. It only happens when the Spirit of God reveals the truth. Like That, that, is, why, that is why we preach the Scriptures. That is why we don't try to get into entertaining and try to get into uh, performance. We simply want to expose you to the truth of God's word so that the Holy Spirit can take that truth and transform your life. That's that's Elizabeth's confession, but then we see Mary's confession. First, Mary confesses what the Lord has done for her. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my my Savior. Uh, To begin with, Mary had, had... had a need for God to save her. When she says, my Savior, it's an indication that she's a sinner in need of salvation. God not only saved her, but God providentially picked her for service. The same is true for us. Like, we not only need God to save us, but we desperately need God to pick us for his service. Secondly, she not only spoke about what God did for her, but she spoke about what God did for us. Verse 50 says, And his mercy is for those who fear him, From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled um, the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. In the second stanza, uh, she gives a proclamation or a prophetic announcement of what God will do for all people. Um, She's telling us that God will, in verse 51, minister to the helpless in verse 52, he will exalt the humble. In verse 53, she tells us that he will give food to those who are hungry. It is a picture of God uh, making a commitment to meet every single one of our needs. And lastly, she confesses what God does for the people of Israel. Verse 54 says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as, we, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She is reminding us that God is faithful to his promise. Israel was an insignificant, nobody kind of people. But with God's grace and with God's power and God's mercy, God was able to make them a great people for his namesake. Chris, you can come on back up. I'm done now. When we think about the text we think about the passage, as we get ready for communion this morning, we have three just very uh, simple um, points of application. When we think about um, the passage, when we think about Mary and Elizabeth's relationship, the first thing we need to see is we are desperately in need of relationships that are Christ-centered. I want to say this very clearly. I got a lot of relationships. I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of people who I do life with. But the relationships that I need the most are those relationships that are centered on Christ. It's easy for me to just have relationships with people who look like me. It's easy for me to just have relationships with people who work at the same place I work, who think the way I think, who vote the way I vote. It's easy for me to have relationships that are are cliquish and that are less than Christ-centered. Well, what you and I need, more so than anything else, are relationships that are focused and centered on Jesus. That's what we need. We need to to cross the line. We need to do life with people who are not like us. We need to be in fellowship in a community with people who do not look like us, who do not think like us, because it helps us see that Christ is the most important part of my life. Not my race, not my job, not my political affiliation. It's Christ that's most important. Secondly, uh, we are desperately in need of relationships that are free of comparison and competition. Like I so want to mention some people right now, um, but I think it would would do more harm than good. I just want to say that there are people who I look at in this audience who I'm so thankful for. And the reason why I say it'll do more harm than good because if I, if I miss somebody, people are going to get their feelings hurt, so I'm not going to do it. But, but I'm so thankful for our church that I can celebrate with people, that I can love people, I can rejoice with people, and I can bear my burdens or I can share my burdens and they can bear their burdens with me and, and vice versa, and we don't have to be in competition. We can be real with each other. And if I'm having a bad day and I'm having a struggle, I know it's a safe place to be able to share. I know they're going to pray for me. I know they're going to build me up. I know they're going to point me back to Christ. And my prayer is that you have that. I hate that that most relationships that we have today are are fake and fickle. And it's, you know, we got to put on the mask and have it all together. When in reality, the relationship that God has for us should be free of that shouldn't be comparing my life versus your life. I should not be competing with you because ultimately we're on the same team. And lastly, we are desperately in need of relationships that encourage us to make a confession. The great thing about confession is confessions bring us in agreement with God. It's not that she was just saying empty words. It's not that Elizabeth was just saying empty words that sounded good. But when they make confessions they were agreeing that they were in need of God. They were taking the truth that was found in God's Word, and they were applying it to their life. And that's the kind of relationships that we need. We need people in our life who are going to help us live in agreement with God, who are going to help us apply the truth that God has for us.